Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Here we go, five o'clock hour. Adam Candy is the company. Demond running the show today. It's Steve Cofield. Candy, do you want me to stick around at Silver Sevens? Build up some points. Do you need a walk? Would you like me to pick up the walk tonight? I actually need the two-sided meat hammer, which I thought was your nickname. <laughs> that would be what a great nickname. Yes. Yes. Today's been so exciting. I mean, we've got nicknames like the, the double, the, the, whatever it was, the double-sided meat hammer. We were talking about uh, FOGO. We're doing uh, FOGO giveaways all week. And the 21 pounds of meat, that's the challenge we're throwing out there, right? 21 pounds of 21 meat. 21 pounds of meat. Well, scary story. And, uh, you know, I was – I don't – do you, are, do you get mad at me that I always bring up uh, referees getting attacked stories with you because you're an official? Uh, no, because it needs to be talked about. Yes, and I think it hits home because you're the one out there who's you know around a you know increasingly freaking truculent, violent, dangerous set of uh, some fans. Anyway, uh, another youth umpire attacked this time in New Jersey in Branchburg, New Jersey. Oh, come on. 72 years old, and they broke his jaw? Coach went out there after an argument and sucker-punched a 72-year-old umpire and broke his jaw at a youth baseball game. And even worse than that, even after this happened, some of the parents from the coach's team were still yelling at the umpire and saying he deserved it. A 72-year-old man umpiring a youth baseball game for what I'm going to guess is probably $25 or $30 didn't deserve it when do we get no to the youth point? Umpire when do we get to the point when you're attacking 72 year olds you're punching them that we just amputate like you lose the hand you punched them with very saudi justice you, you did, did you well, take I'm that offer from the live golf tour are you going to be uh, are you going to be on live golf now it's one of the things i was intrigued with there's, there's a, oh, you know, okay. a, lot, yeah. a lot of bad about the saudis but uh, you know every once in a while i'm like eh, maybe maybe that you hand needs to go bye-bye if you're going to ball, ball up a fist and punch a 72 year old in the face I look, I, Number four. Not yet. Not yet. No, Demond. I'm talking getting, about this. Okay? We're getting worked up. We're getting violent. T- You're not going to save oh, us from ourselves. Oh, Demond, if I want to talk yeah. about cutting off hands, oh, I'm going to yeah. do it. Just because, just because Demond is all jacked and he can punch anybody he wants, not worried about if he's going to get punched back, all of a sudden he's like, yeah, get that umpire. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. We see you coming, Demond. The, the point is you can still punch me anyway. But yeah. the, the, the look when it comes to when it comes to officials, the local high school association here, Southern Nevada Officials Association, they have trouble filling spots right now. I'm getting emails from the association for volleyball. Think about a calmer sport than volleyball. Right. I'm getting emails from the volleyball officials saying, "Hey." Be careful out there. It's gotten a oh. lot worse with the parents. If you need to have school security, step in. It's volleyball. And yet that's the sort of thing that we're dealing with at all levels when it comes to officials right now. People are quitting. They can't find enough officials to fill the high school games right now. They can't because this is what's happening over and over again. We know what happened to Perry Woodward, uh, the local basketball official who was brutally beaten up outside the Doolittle Rec Center and who is still dealing with surgeries and Still dealing with the fact that the people who attacked him are not being uh, arrested and prosecuted. Like, this is not pretty. And I know it sounds easy to say, like, don't beat up umpires. But I'm telling you as an official, I never used to worry that it was going to go beyond getting screamed at. I'm prepared to get screamed at. Yell at me all day. That's fine. It's part of the deal. 
I understand that. But being followed out to the parking lot and being physically assaulted is not part of the equation for anyone. Number four. 2015 draft night. Rough night for UNLV's Christian Wood. I like covering the guy. I thought he got a raw deal from some UNLV fans. You know, he had a he had a style of play. We'll, we'll say more of the way he carries himself. The game came easy to him, right? And people got on the guy. And, of course, at the time, you know, that was a UNLV era where things were taken for granted, right? It was never good enough. Teams always should have been better. And for some reason, you know, Chris Wood got blamed. So then he goes to the draft. And you remember he, he drew out the um, – the decision to go to the draft at the very last minute, you know, that he, I think he kind of teased fans, which, you know, frankly, some of them deserved it for being jerks to him because uh, there, there was a possibility we could have the combination at UNLV of Zimmerman and Christian Wood together. Well, Wood goes to the draft. He has a party. He goes undrafted, and someone snapped a shot of him, got in the paper of him slumped over. It was, it was terrible, right? I, I like the kid. I rooted for him. And I got to tell you, what's happened to him in the NBA is one of the great success stories. He got a big deal last year. Goes to the Rockets, you know, making like 15, 16, 17 million a year. That's friggin' awesome. And now he's been traded to the Mavericks. He got traded for four players and a first-round pick. This is very, very cool. I am so happy for Chris Wood. I'm thrilled for Chris Wood because if you look back now at the path that he's taken, right, from being undrafted to being a guy who's worth what he was traded for and worth the contract that he's gotten, and you look at the fact that he's averaging about 18 points a game, uh, just this last year in Houston, you see that Chris Wood is the best player to come out of UNLV since the year 2000. It's it's not all that close if you really look at it. Uh, this program has not produced NBA players at the same rate that it used to. It's produced guys who were supposed to be good in the NBA, like Rashad Vaughn, like Anthony Bennett, like Steven Zimmerman. It just didn't happen. And Chris Wood was not drafted in the first round like those guys, and yet he still found a path through the G League up through fighting his way to the end of rosters into becoming a real NBA player. And Steve, I, I kind of hope because the projections for Donovan Williams, who's in the draft this year, are that he's not going to be drafted. John Hollinger from The Athletic doesn't have him in his top 75 prospects. But I kind of hope it, it lays a path for a guy like Donovan Williams to have success down the line. Now, Donovan Williams wasn't as accomplished as Chris Wood. And at the time, it was Chris Wood, now Christian Wood uh, for UNLV. But it just goes to show there is a way for guys to have that kind of success if there's some level of patience. We talked about it with Andrew Wiggins, who has a different path as a former number one pick, hadn't lived up to those expectations. But I'm thrilled for Chris Wood, who I could probably name on one hand in the last, what, my lifetime, the players who are better than Christian Wood, right? We know Larry Johnson obviously had a, a fantastic career. Stacey Ogman. Uh, had a wonderful career and I think you could probably start having a conversation right around Sean Marion now Sean Marion did it for longer than Chris Wood has done it and Sean Marion was an all-star but right I think next Christian Wood's probably right there in the discussion for next on that list of UNLV players in the NBA over the last few decades number three William Hill Racing Sportsbook has Celtics four total two eleven and a half at Celtics Warriors Game six, do or die for Boston coming up right here on ESPN Las Vegas again after 6 o'clock. Candy, I know you wanted to bring up uh, into the conversation, you know, we've talked about all-timers like Steph Curry, potential Hall of Famers like Clay Thompson. Some will say Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer. I, okay. Um, 
a core that I, I, I talk about a lot and I've been talking about going back like you know two or three years that I thought the Celtics were going to have a really good run here. One of the stars of this series who is almost never talked about for his impact on basketball in general because there are so many people out there who get all worked up if you don't stick to sports is Steve Kerr. But Steve Kerr as a basketball influencer has had a major run here. He is under respected. I'm not going to say disrespected, but Steve Kerr is massively underrespected in the basketball community for the impact he's had on the game throughout his life. Talking about a guy as a former college All-American who played on a world championship team as a young man who won four consecutive championships in the NBA, five total as a player, three as a coach. He has eight NBA titles to his name. And he doesn't get the respect with the Golden State Warriors because of Steph Curry. And we could have this discussion when it comes to Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson and Kobe Bryant, right? Steve Kerr has done more than that. And Steve Kerr deserves more credit than that. Because as good as Steph Curry is, and as good as Klay Thompson is, and as good as Kevin Durant is, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. And Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal are also generational players. It's a different discussion than Phil Jackson. Steve Kerr has handled not only the roster that Mark Jackson couldn't take and make something out of, but he has also handled Steph Curry. He has handled Draymond Green. And it's not easy to handle Draymond Green as a coach, right? He's dealing with Draymond Green, who is sort of the scaled-down version of Dennis Rodman with what Phil Jackson dealt with. The wild card player who brings all those intangibles to the team but has a personality that could blow the whole thing up if you don't ha know the right way to deal with it. And then beyond the court, yes, you're absolutely right. Steve Kerr has been willing to step out on social issues in a way that would expose him to criticism from a lot of angles. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And if anybody knows his backstory about his father being assassinated, you know exactly why he doesn't care. And I think that just speaks more to what he as a human being has overcome to be in the place that he's in right now. So I, I didn't even mention how good he was in his playing career. The guy won the three-point contest at the NBA All-Star Game. He owns the single-season record, or did, I should say, until Kyle Korver broke it a couple of years ago. But 52.4% from three-point range for an entire season. He hit one of the shots that won the championship for the Bulls. Talk about Steph Curry because he is one of the most amazing players we'll ever see. Talk about Kevin Durant and what he added to that team. But damn it, talk about Steve Kerr and just what a contributor he is to the game of basketball for his entire life. Number two. Lots of good stuff talked about today at the uh, VGK Bruce Cassidy press conference. Kelly McCrimmon, the GM, was there as well. Really good question from one of our favorite guests, Mr. Scoop. Chris Matthews from 8 News Now uh, was asking Bruce Cassidy about, you know, the Boston coaching fraternity and asked him if he knew Belichick and, there's, you know, is there any stories about him. So here's Cassidy talking about that winning competitive, competitive uh, atmosphere that he comes from in Boston. I, had, I developed a relationship with Bill over the years. I like him a lot. He's been good for me. You know, he's got a job to do. I've got a job to do. So, you know, we're not interacting. But, you know, the family would go to, you know, the, the OTAs or the summer camps. And, you know, we'd go to the odd game throughout the year. I wouldn't see Bill, but the Kraft family. So uh, a lot of respect for Bill and Josh. They did great things in New England. Obviously, hopefully Josh can, can do that out here. 
There you go. Rooting for uh, Josh McDaniels. This is, uh, we've already called the uh, Raiders Brass Patriots West. I'm not sure that we have to come up with some cheesy nickname for the Bruins, but we got a lot of Bostonians. we got a lot of Boston coaches, former Boston coaches. He's not a Bostonian, but a lot of former Boston coaches making their way out of here, Candy. Not uh, just Boston coaches. We brought in Dave Gosher from uh, the Boston Bruins, yeah. the play-by-play guy for the Golden Knights. The influence. Uh, I had a nice conversation everywhere. with. I had a nice conversation with Dave today. I was giving him a pat on the back for some really good social media stuff the last couple Dave, of weeks that I had. Dave I admire, has not been shy. I admire him for taking a stand. Here's a little more on uh, Bruce Cassidy. Now, this is the question. This is the question. When you have kids, right? They grow up in an area. They're fans of those teams. Like, hey, kiddo. You're going west. Now you're in Las Vegas. we got to have a discussion. I'm going to have to convince Cole that he's going to have to, you know, get on board with the black and silver here and not the Pats. That, that'll that be a, <laughs> a challenge because, hey, he's a New England kid, right? So he's uh, – I'll, I'll, I'll tell him you can have the Red Sox, but you got to give up the Pats, right? How's that? So, um, like I said, I, I like Bill a lot. Tremendous amount of success. We'll still communicate going forward. Hopefully I get to know Josh because I, th- I thought in Boston, to build off that, the coaches had a great relationship. You know, they had the, the Jimmy Fun telethon there where it all get together. Uh, Alex Cora, Brad Stevens, now Ime. So I, I thought it was good, and it was good for competition. I think we all pushed each other in that market to be to be the top dog. So everyone's still chasing Bill there. Well, you know that I'm always intrigued by how people become fans of certain teams, Candy. This is right up my alley. I've told the story many times. Listen, you know, when you're a little kid and, you know, it's in the 70s, at least in my era, you got some – Really good 70s teams to root for, glamour teams like the Cowboys and Steelers. And, you know, I might have been a Steelers fan up until I was like six or seven. And then my father sat me down. And he's like, gee, damn it. He's like, we got two home area teams you can root for. And you're going to root for one of them. And then you just slapped me right across the face. Because I was like, no, Dad, I like Franco Harris and Terry Bradshaw. And he slapped me again. The original two-sided meat hammer and said, you will root for the quarterback duel between Matt Ryan and Richard Todd. And you will love this man. I think I'm off on that. Freeman McNeil. Matt Ryan? I did say Matt Ryan. Matt, why am I blanking on Why am I blanking on Kenny? The, Talk the, about Kenny? Kenny no, O'Brien? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get the name. I'm, I'm blanking on the last name anyway, uh, who Todd beat out. But uh, that's all not true. Um, my dad was not a sports fan. Couldn't give a rat's ass. But I did gravitate towards the uh, home area team. Um, It's been a disaster. So what does Bruce Cassidy do with his kid? I mean, the Patriots have been awesome, but like, bruh, we don't like the Patriots here. You might have to root for the Raiders. And by the way, I don't, I don't accept he gets to keep one of them. I don't care that we don't have a baseball team here. You have to drop the Red Sox too, kiddo. No, he gets to keep all of them. No, he's the kid who does not have a say in being moved from Boston to Las Vegas. He didn't choose this. The kid is going to root for the teams that he wants to root for. In fact, I would lose respect for that child. I would lose huge amounts of respect for Cole Cassidy if Cole Cassidy became a fan of the Vegas teams, of the black and silver, of the gray and scarlet. I don't want him changing over to those teams. He deserves to be able to keep his teams. And no, I would not lose respect for a child, but it makes the point. That's not fair. By the way, (laughs) I I, I was like barely off on Matt Ryan. It was Pat Ryan. I, it, it happens, man. I'm, I'm over I, 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 be- I, I, I believe I said this to you on social media the other day. Sure, Jan. <laughs> it, it was Matt Ryan. Not Matt Ryan. I screwed it up. Number one. Yeah, I did get slapped in the head. It's affecting me now. 
Um, all right, Cassidy's here. And guess what? Cup and six. Guess what year this is? The sixth season. Willie Ramirez was sure to bring that up. AP writer and part of the company. You go, Willie. The owner made a comment, I think, before the first season. Playoffs at three, cup and six. Why is Bruce Cassidy the right fit for this roster? And why is this roster the right fit for you? Well, we're in year six, right? So the pressure's on. Um, uh, which is great. Previous market was, you know, an original six, so lots of pressure. So that, to me, is, is a good thing. Um, you want to be relevant, uh, and, you, and, and you want expectations. So I think we're all aware they're out there, and we're, we're here to fulfill them. You know, when he was talking about that, I was thinking to myself, in a way, is this market kind of a piece of cake for him now in terms of dealing with fans and media? I think for dealing with the media, yes. Because Boston Without is question. Boston Boston is super intense. Without question. East Coast media is a completely different story. Uh, but when it comes to the organization, I guess Bruce Cassidy knows what it's like for a winning coach to not get as far as was expected and that not to be good enough, right? That's, he has that same pedigree. He has a better point percentage than Pete DeBoer did with the biggest Golden Knights from his time in Boston. He did better. But when it comes to the expectations from Bill Foley and the expect, expectations from the front office, I'll tell you what, I thought any coach who would take this job would be crazy in terms of that. But Bruce Cassidy might be the right type of crazy for it. Uh, he just said, you want to be relevant. And I think that's a great statement, right? Because what started to happen a little bit, just a little bit, with VGK last year was they weren't as relevant. And they weren't as relevant for fans. They weren't going out to the game. Not every game was a sellout. There were empty seats every time out. And what VGK did better than anyone through the first four years was to be the most relevant thing in the entire Vegas sports scene. And so a coach who embraces that is probably the right guy. I also like this part of his conversation today. And he spoke for about 30 minutes, and it was a pretty solid press conference. Most of us came away with a, a good first impression of Bruce Cassidy, the new Golden Knights coach. Uh, he was talking about the experience on this team and, you know, coachability and what some guys have and maybe what some guys need to learn. I've seen Alex and, and Petro win a Stanley Cup, so they are guys with experience. I saw Petro close, a little too closely, to be quite honest with you. But So they have guys that have been there and done it. And there's guys that are still learning the process. Jack Eichel, you know, he's a guy that, you know, that's a high-end uh, hockey player that is still learning how to win and, and play the right way, so to speak. So I thought that was interesting. Learn how to win and play the right way. Your thoughts on Eichel, who was rumored to be going potentially to the Bruins and then never worked out, and some people theorized at the time that maybe Eichel wasn't a Cassidy-type player. That's why I said from the jump today on this show that I think that the idea of is Bruce Cassidy going to be able to get along in this locker room has everything to do with Jack Eichel because I don't think he's going to have a problem with the veterans in that locker room. Guys, like... Mark Stone, guys like Max Pacioretty, guys like Alex Petrangelo, veterans who have been captains of their team, don't need a lot of push, right? They don't need Mackay Becton going out there and wearing shirts talking about being a bust. They can motivate themselves just fine. Like Jack Eichel, on the other hand, was a young captain in the NHL. It's not a common thing. Guys with the lack of experience that Jack Eichel had don't often become the leader of the locker room. And there's an old school mentality in the NHL that didn't love the way Jack Eichel handled his exit from Boston. I are from Buffalo. I know Buffalo fans who are still mad about it. One of my friends who's a Sabres fan said Jack's dead to us. Ooh, 
All Jack Eichel wanted was the surgery that was going to be the best for his career, but I understand how some of the old school folks feel like he quit on them. I don't agree with it, but I understand where the perspective comes from. And so that's really going to be the relationship that determines how far this goes. Giveaway time. Let's give away some uh, hockey tickets. we got three ice hockey at the Orleans Arena. It's coming up this weekend on June 18th. Three-on-three hockey plus the goalie. Hall of Fame coaches on each team. You can find out more info at 3ice.com. We've got a pair of tickets right now to see hockey this weekend at the Orleans Arena. Three ice hockey. Caller 7-364-1100. Is Steph Curry so far the MVP of the finals? He's been the best player in this series. It's not even close. The man is averaging 35. Curry again. Oh, Steph Curry from way downtown. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Rolling on here on a Thursday. Candy's in as the company. Adam, did you bet on the U.S. Open? I might have a thing or two in the account. Okay. Any big names Mo- or you go for long shots? No, mo- uh, mostly kind of the middle tier because there's no value at the top, especially in a tournament like this that is just so punitive to the golfers. Uh, try to get the guys who are pure distance players out of the equation and look for accuracy. I, I've had the privilege of going to a U.S. Open before and walking a U.S. Open course, if you've never done it, will give you a completely different appreciation because what you see on TV cannot capture just how difficult it is to even get a ball to hold on a green where did you go i was at pinehurst in north carolina uh back in the day when i was covering golf for the las vegas sun and uh, ryan moore was of course one of the best golfers ever to come through unlv and i was tracking ryan's progress that year so got to go to augusta to the masters and followed him to pinehurst as well are we sad that phil mickelson is eight over after his first round here's what i'm sad about there was only one sports book in town that put up a single matchup involving Phil Mickelson in which you would have had to lay minus 235 against him to take the golfer who was paired with him. All I wanted was the opportunity to fade Phil massively in matchups, and uh, the books were too smart for it. Yeah, it's like they knew. Are we happy that Dustin Johnson is too off the lead? Trader, PGA hater, Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson, who at first said he wasn't going and then yeah. decided to go. And yeah, I mean, look, Dustin Johnson's never been one of those guys who's particularly well-liked. He's a prickly sort of sort. And, um, you know, it, most of the guys who've gone to live golf look like you're doing some sort of SmackDown versus Raw thing where you're trying to get all the villains on one side <laughs> and all the positive guys on the other, right? Like, like, oh, oh no, Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau are gone. Oh, my gosh, who will I have to hate now on the pga tour (laughs) i miss them already although you know they can they can still be around in a lot of these tournaments so i cannot wait until live the saudi live uh arrives here in the states it's gonna it's gonna be so awesome because i've been i've been all over the place on this this whole golf league and you know probably early this week especially last week i was talking about the fact that the golfers are the ones being pounded for taking the money and it's like they're the tour that league is coming here Golf courses accepted. Embrace them with open arms. There are tournaments here. Get mad at the courses. Get mad at those rich guys. Uh, I can't imagine the owners of a golf course being okay with money from any direction. I just can't imagine that that would be the case. The shock and awe is all over me. 
stick around. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. And then, even though the Raiders are pretty much assured a playoff spot going up against the Kansas City Chiefs, I have them beating the Chiefs, and this will be the second consecutive year that the Raiders have knocked off one of their AFC West foes and kept them out of the playoffs. So as you see, Derek Carr to me, who is already a good quarterback, becomes an elite quarterback with Devontae Adams. I have the Raiders winning 12 games and advancing on to the AFC playoffs. Wow. Adam Rank, NFL Network. I think I missed that part about the Chiefs. So he has the Raiders winning 12 games this year and the Chiefs not making the playoffs. Wouldn't that be fun? You're going to have to take me back to that game where they beat the, the Chiefs last year. Uh, I think he, he meant second straight year they kept a team out of the playoffs, like the okay. Chargers in the final game. It was a little poorly phrased. I think that's what he meant there with a win at the end of the season over the Chiefs. Let's talk football. Let's talk Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. You know, this is a city, even though we're still a relatively young city, that has such a rich athletic history, and especially at running back. Mike Pritchard is in. He's a Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Famer. Pritch, it's funny. I was just looking at the list of running backs from this town. DeMarco Murray's going in in this class. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we really do have a a nice collection of of guys who could run the ball over the years and, you know, and made it to the highest level. Absolutely. Great to be with you guys. Um, Frank Hawkins, you can start right there. Um, You can think about Nick Bell, Blake Ezor. Uh, Blake Ezor was one of those guys at Gorman back in the day. Uh, that kind of inspired me growing up here, man, because I, I think he was 185 pounds tops, and he gets a scholarship to Michigan State. Uh, and that's really that kind of got me motivated to say, look, you know what, if Blake can do that, then certainly I want to see myself on that kind of stage in college football if I can get there. Uh, obviously, I grew up watching Randall Cunningham play at UNLV, but uh, from a running back position in high school, man, we, we do have a rich history. By the way, how about Gerald Riggs, who was before Gerald you? Riggs, yep. Yeah, there's so many. Um, uh, we had a guy, Larry Heater, uh, over at Rancho way back in the 70s. I think he played for the Giants. Uh, yeah, I mean, Gerald Riggs is incredible, too. Yeah, there's so many names. I, I hope I don't leave out a few. <laughs> now you're good. You're good. I had the, uh, the list uh, earlier. And, uh, okay. well, of course, the, the leading rusher in the history of the town in the NFL is Steven Jackson, who's also a Southern right. Nevada Sports Hall of Famer. Um, yep. I, you know, I want you to talk about the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. And this is going to sound like a, a cheesy question, but how many Hall of Fames are you in? <laughs> well, I'm in two, officially. Okay. I'm in the Colorado um, Sports Hall of Fame, uh, University of Colorado, and I'm in the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I've been told I should be in the College Football Hall of Fame, but I was a second-team All-American, so I just missed qualifying mm. uh, for that Hall of Fame. If I was a first-team uh, Hall of uh, um, first team. Uh, All-American, then I would have made the uh, College Football Hall of Fame there. So what is it like? I don't know. Candy, are you in any Hall of Fames? Uh, anywhere I'm not. Um, <laughs> only, in my, only in my brain. There you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, is it, what is it like? Like I, I often think maybe athletes are like, yeah, another, you know, another Hall of Fame. But I, mean, I, would, ass- I would assume like, the, like you're there and you're like, man, this is kind of cool. You know what? It's really cool. Um, one, I, I think the rich history you talked about, and you know, back then growing up here in Las Vegas, we had – Ten high schools, man, and you know if you moved on and you played elite level in college football, if you went on to the National Football League, that was some that was an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, and then when you come back and everybody is proud of you, and you know you're doing stuff in the community and everything, and that's recognized. And I, you know, it, it was an honor. It was it was the first Hall of Fame that I went in. Uh, and sadly, like my mom had passed away a couple of years before that. 
So she missed out on seeing that. But my dad uh, gave me the, you know, as far as presenting me, uh, and he just gave me this incredible speech. And he said some things that I never knew about. Uh, and then we had the highlight film. So for me, it was a legacy moment. It was a proud family moment. It was a proud moment for my dad, who who worked with me as a kid. You know, it was just, it was more about that than myself. And so to be able to share it that way with my friends and family, it was incredible. Mike Pritchard's with us. He's uh, working at VSIN now. Mike, tell people when your show is on. We are on 12 to 1 Pacific. Uh, it's called Betting Across America. Josh Applebaum's out in Boston. Uh, and so we do that show each and every day, Monday through Friday. Are you liking it so far? It's not like a brand new thing for you, but it was, I know when you, you, know, you moved into the more full-time realm, you know, it was a little bit different than doing sports talk because you did a lot of good sports talk in Denver and here, and obviously VCN is more centered around sports gambling. So what do you think so far? Eye-opening. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I went into it, uh, Steve, uh, accepting a challenge. It's been a challenge. It's, it's something I work at each and every day because I've never hosted. I've never uh, did what you do or, or Adam. And, I mean, you guys, hosting is so – you're structured differently. You guys are different. <laughs> so, for me as an analyst, uh, I had to kind of challenge myself and, and get into that mode. But I'm working on it each and every day uh, as well as learning – about sports betting. You know, I went into it uh, trying to predict winners and thought, okay, I know who's going to win this game. I know who's going to win that game, but it's not about that, certainly. Uh, so it was a learning curve that I had to flatten, but man, I'm having a blast with it, though. It's been incredible. We got, we got great support, uh, great team, uh, great experts, too, to, to help out things, help with things. So uh, it's been an incredible journey. You know why it's eye opening, too? Because um, I, I would say I'm more of a situational gambler. If I'm an expert at all, I'm more situational. Okay. But when you hear numbers, people, like Candy's great with the numbers. John, John Von Tobel mm-hmm. is amazing with the numbers. Right. When you start hearing the numbers, people, it, you're, like, blown away in how they're breaking things down. I want to know how they do it, to be honest with you. Um, I want to know how you apply the data that you're looking at because, for me, I saw data differently. I saw it in tendencies. I saw it from a film study standpoint. Uh, I saw it from a reactionary standpoint. I never really uh, saw a quantified data list of, of points that I could use to my advantage as a player. But now as a better, I absolutely can use that, the metrics, and uh, it's been helping me out as well. You know, I think, Mike, as a player, uh, you are focused on your matchup right like you're, you're mm-hmm. focused on the player across from you and what you need to do against that defense and it's sort of on this more micro level where now you know when you talk about the betting and looking at the numbers and everything you're trying to look at a much bigger picture right does that sound accurate yeah absolutely absolutely because you know as a player we just want to win a game we didn't necessarily was trying to cover by three and a half or or, or six you know what i'm saying and it and it's like as a better you got to factor that in and so a lot of times the numbers help you out that way uh, but the matchups were important. Candy, um, uh, I think from a tendency standpoint, uh, down in distance, I mean, everything is like first quarter to the fourth quarter and how things were differently that way. It's helped me in game. I'll be honest with you guys. I, I kind of get an opportunity to tap into game plans uh, and decipher that, and it's helped me out tremendously from an end game standpoint. So uh, the experience on the field, uh, translates uh, to, to success off the field as a better at times. But from a number standpoint, I mean, I still have a lot to learn, I feel. Are you an active better now? I'm a casual active better. How about okay. that? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I want to keep my retirement intact, Steve. So, oh, I um, yeah, there you go. It so, ain't no, I'm easy. A, 
That's the first thing to tell people. None of this is easy, man. The sports gambling is hard. No, it's not. And the people that do it for a living, I give them mad props. I give them a great deal of respect uh, because it is a grind. If you're doing this for a living, it is a grind, and you definitely have my respect. Because my eyes were open. I mean, as a player, I I never really gravitated towards sports betting because, one, I I didn't want to get in trouble by the FBI. Uh, And then, two... Um, you know, I, I just was staying away from it because I just didn't want any conflict. And, and now that uh, the NFL has partnered up with the sports betting industry, uh, it's been uh, a little bit more comfortable for me. So I'm asking a ton of questions to people. I'm trying to get great insight. And, and like I mentioned, everybody's been gracious with your time about that. Mike Pritchard, one of the uh, legends of football here in Las Vegas, now working at VSIN. He's a Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Famer, the induction ceremony for 2022 is tomorrow night in Henderson at the uh, brand-new Dollar Loan Center Arena. I wanted to talk about a couple of the inductees, and you know, it just makes all of us feel old because uh, DeMarco yeah. Murray is a young guy still. He's 34 years old. But um, mm-hmm. DeMarco had a really good career, uh, went up rushing for over 7,000 yards, caught 2,000 uh, more receiving yards out of the backfield, and nice dude. And, you know, the reason I admire him in this era where uh, running backs may not you know, get a, a, enough money early in their career, he got a good contract. And then you know what? I, the way I viewed it, Mike, when when he was done playing football, you know, late twenties, he's like, I made my money. I'm, you know, I want to have a life the rest of the way. I'm going to walk away. Yeah, give him a respect for that too. I mean, Demarco, I think from a new era standpoint here in the Valley, you mentioned Stephen Jackson. I mean, he was massive as a running back, you know, and and just uh, unfortunate when he was with the Rams, uh, he had a, a great level of success. But you wish it would have. Um, been a little bit bigger like it like it deserved i mean steven jackson was an un- incredible incredible running back incredible player uh and then demarco murray too i mean he was so dynamic uh and i remember watching him at gorman and saying this guy is going to be phenomenal uh and then you go to ou and does great things there and gets to the league and yeah i mean he was an incredible player injuries catch up to running backs like you mentioned i was i was in that boat guys i, I was a running back and then when i got to college i made that switch to wide receiver knowing how much punishment running backs take. But I never was as big as DeMarco or Steven Jackson. So it worked out for me from a longevity standpoint and certainly trying to stay away from injuries. But incredible, incredible career and, and certainly well-deserved to go into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. So, Mike, you have the, the rare opportunity because we've got so many transplants here, and like including Candy and myself, where mm-hmm. you were around when UNLV was friggin' awesome at basketball. Now, you were young with the yeah. Hardway 8. Uh, right, you know, very young, probably seven, eight, nine years old. Um, do you have memories of like what was your first memory of UNLV basketball? Because Gondo's going in, Glenn Gondras, yep. and he was on the you know those teams in the late seventies. Yeah, you know, um, early memories uh, certainly the hard way you think about them. But my vivid memories were Freddie Banks and that era right there, um, John Flowers, and you know, there's so many legendary names. And and so growing up here. Um, I knew about Gondo, knew about Robert Smith, obviously, knew about Tark and all this, but I, I went to grade school with Greg Anthony uh, and then certainly at Rancho. Uh, he was my quarterback for a year, believe it or not. Uh, and then he goes on and does great things at UNLV. So once, once Greg got to UNLV and, you know, the, the team that they assembled at that point, uh, I was all in, obviously, as a resident, but I was in school at Colorado. And fortunate for me, the Final Four was in Denver that year when they won it. Uh, but no, I go back with Gondo. I remember listening to Gondo and John for yeah. years, and <laughs> that was always interesting, right? 
but but you heard about the great stories from the great players, and and I tell you, man, just well deserved as, as far as I'm concerned in terms of uh, the recognition, of the legend that Gondo was with uh, UNLV and the Runner Rebels. Was that program also? You know, you mentioned earlier what a big deal it was to make it out of Vegas, play college football right. at a high level. Was that squad also because they were achieving at such a high level an inspiration to high school kids? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, um, we I would see Freddie Banks in North Las Vegas, and he went to Valley, and I mean, you just your your jaw drops because I mean that's Freddie Banks over there, right? And yeah. you see Don Flowers around the city, and I mean it was incredible. It was really incredible. But then. It just got to another level when, when Greg Anthony uh, returned back. Uh, and then you had Stacy and you had Larry. I mean, it was just at a different level at that point, fellas. But you can appreciate the earlier teams, though. I think uh, that one team I'm mentioning with Freddie Banks and his crew, uh, that really, uh, uh, I think, put UNLV in a different stratosphere in terms of uh, certainly embracing the history but then to that next level and how everybody perceived the runner rebels. I mean, it was an incredible journey at that point. Hey, you slipped in a comment there about Greg Anthony and football. What, what yeah. he was the quarterback. What sort of uh, offense did you run? <laughs> um, you know what? I, I don't remember correctly. Uh, I, you know, you know, Greg. Greg made the right choice uh, <laughs> playing basketball. <laughs> oh no! I was waiting for some he, story like he had a rocket for an arm. Well, no, 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 he didn't. It's not like we were, you know, to run a shoot or anything. No. Um, but I, I was a sophomore, and we ran like a wing T option thing. Sure. Um, and so Greg running the option just just wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he was getting hit. <laughs> nah, can you? Okay, yeah, you got Jamel Holloway on one hand, uh, and then Darian Hagan on another hand. Yeah. And then somewhere way back there was Greg Anthony as an option quarterback. There, there you go. Mike Richards with us. <laughs> uh, Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer. He went in years ago, not to make you sound old, uh, but that's just how good you are that you got in uh, You know, relatively shortly uh, after the end of your career. That was back in uh, 2007. I wanted to close on an NFL note. Let's go back to what we played coming in. I know I'm sure you guys have broken down the AFC West repeatedly in the futures and you know who's going to finish first, second, third and fourth. What do you think of Adam Rank saying the Raiders could win 12? I think it's possible. I, I really do. Um, you know, you think about Rich Gannon as a quarterback and you know, I was in the league at the time and I, I wouldn't want to disrespect him and call him a journeyman quarterback. I, I mean, I think he was effective, but when he got with the Raiders and the Raiders teamed him up with Tim Brown and Jerry Rice, I mean, Gannon turned into something different. So now you have Derek Carr, who has not won a playoff game yet. And I think he still has a lot to prove, but he's got a comfort now with Devontae Adams. Uh, he's got the ultimate playmaker, I believe, and Darren Waller, if he can stay healthy. And then a guy you can't cover in a phone booth and Hunter Renfro. So if anybody is primed for, I would say, a breakout year, to be honest with you. I mean, I know there's no respect for Derek Carr, not to the level that a lot of people would like it to be within Raider Nation, but he has every opportunity to earn that respect this year around the league and, and, and you know, beyond Raider Nation because he's just surrounded with so much talent. And there's no more excuses, to be honest with you, fellas. I mean, if they don't get through the playoffs and, and penetrate the playoffs and really make a run at a, at a championship either this year or next year, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you stay the course, you know. Uh, so I think it's highly comfortable. I think it's primed and ready for a great situation. And on top of that, fellas, 
I think the Raiders figured out how to become a playoff team all by themselves. No disrespect to Bisaccia, the head coach. He was in interim. But to go through all that adversity and still win 10 games and qualify for the playoffs, you know, that, that was something special in the locker room. So if they captured it and they can build on it, then yeah, I think 12 games is possible. Brent, glad you're doing well, man. Thanks for uh, stepping up. I screwed up the uh, the booking, the behind-the-scenes stuff here. I'll pull back the curtain. I screwed it up. I had, I had Pritch on the wrong day. We, we, we didn't connect, but he uh, he stepped up to do the spot today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure, man. And uh, it wasn't a screw-up. We, we got it straight uh, today, so we got appreciate it you. We got it done. Yep, See yep. you, Pritch. Absolutely. Okay, take care. There he is, Mike Pritchard, uh, Las Vegas native, a great college football player, a really good NFL career, and a Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Famer. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. So we have so much good stuff on uh, all the stations, lvsportsnetwork.com. We've got four stations, 12 of the game, has good sports talk, but a lot of play-by-play. It's the home of the Stanley Cup. Finals. I was going to say the playoffs, but we're all the way at the end here. The finals, 1230 the game. Uh, NBA play-by-play right here on ESPN Las Vegas following us. Got Warriors and Celtics. Today, Ryan the Hockey Guy did a really good job of uh, breaking down the Bruce Cassidy press conference on Fox Sports Las Vegas. And Raider Nation Radio 920 on Q Show had a conversation with Van McElroy, a former Raider. And, Candy, we all saw this come across today that Mark Davis made a really big donation. What do you think of this? I think the gesture is fantastic. Uh, Mark Davis donates a million dollars to the Uvalde School District for the security of their elementary school campuses. Uh, Talking to Ben McElroy, whose grandchild is in that school district, and I can't imagine the horror of having lived through that personally. Um, And the fact that Mark Davis from the Raiders Foundation was willing to cut a check for a million dollars is absolutely outstanding. And and I think that needs to be acknowledged first and foremost. Uh, I think there's probably a reasonable question that comes along with that to say, if we're going to spend a million dollars to help the people in Uvalde, is school security, reinforced doors, fences for the school the best way? There there are going to be a lot of people who have a lot of needs uh, coming out of this. And so maybe we're nitpicking. Maybe I'm the one who's getting a little bit uh, cynical about this and saying, could it have gone to supporting some of these families and their losses and and things like that? Sure. I think I'm probably being a little bit critical in a situation that doesn't necessarily call for criticism because I want to acknowledge the gesture, but I also want to say, man, a million dollars for something that was a one in God only knows how million happening to sort of prevent that from happening again feels like there could be ways the money could be more helpful. Let's go back in the bag. I'll do it myself. Uh, did you, there there it is. Uh, Candy, did you see – college basketball and college football really are crazy to cover uh, from this standpoint. I'm not anti-transfer portal. I do think it's a little bit weird when kids go to, like, five different schools, four different schools, and a former UNLV player – David Jenkins has now landed at Purdue. So David Jenkins has gone from, what, South Dakota State to UNLV, which I think he should have stayed at UNLV. The story he tells is that he wasn't he wasn't welcomed, and that's not what I hear. Uh, then he landed at Utah, and his playing time diminished. He's now landed at Purdue. Interesting. That's a college basketball experience. 
And when it comes to players who are going to multiple schools in multiple years, look, we joke around about relief pitcher journeyman guys who last in the league for 15 years and they play for 15 different teams. Now, I, I don't get excited about it. I know it's weird. I know it's different. But these guys are out here chasing the best possible deal they can, whether that's an NIL deal or whether that's a deal where they get the best playing time, the best opportunity to move on to the next level, which for a guy like David Jenkins, I assume, is probably an international career. Thanks to Silver Sevens for housing the show today. We'll see you.